Hi, and welcome to another edition of Dr. Dark After Dark, number 20, Discussions with Ryan. So I'm thrilled today to have uh, Ryan Paisy, who is, uh, well, maybe not better known, but well known as uh, Pripius <laughs> IQ on Twitter. Uh, I had to write that down uh, it, phonetically to know how to say it. Um, yeah, and uh, Ryan, easiest. Ryan's based in the uh, UK and is the founder of The Morning Ramble, uh, which is uh, a service we can talk about more which I'm one of his subscribers to. And he's a very active kind of macro thinker trader. So thought it would be a great person to get on. Um, so as always, it's not investment advice. Please do your own research. And just to remind everyone, there's no agenda to this. It's just meant to be a candid conversation and we're gonna see where it goes. So Ryan, welcome. Hello, good morning. Well, good, good evening, Chris, should I Indeed. say. <laughs> I yes. remember what time. Um, yeah, so. So uh, obviously, well, like, as Chris said, my name is Ryan Basie. Um My background, obviously, everyone needs to know where everyone is coming from. So let's start with that. Um, I started off um, as a runner um, on, a, on a large trading floor in London, um, probably about a year and a half, maybe just come out to two years after the old life floor, which is the old like the pits that you you, know, you see in the movies with lots of shouting and hand waving. Um, so my firm, Kite Group. Um, just moved up to a big trading floor in Islington and yeah, they needed basically like an office pitch, let's be honest. Um, so that was me for two years, uh, two and a bit years doing that and then eventually got given a trading account and that was getting on for nearly 20 years ago. And obviously in that time I've traded an awful lot. Um, my focus originally was oil trading. Um, that was purely because... Uh, the IP, the London Oil Floor uh, International Petroleum Exchange, that had just gone electronic. So I've got a massive love for geopolitics, which everyone that follows me would know. Um, yeah, so since then, just tr uh, traded away, um, basically traded everything. Haven't really traded much options. I've done a little bit of bond option market making in the past, in the very distant past. Mainly my bag has always been futures. Um, to be honest, now, I, I do very little trading as such at the moment. Um, just one of those things that I kind of burnt out a couple of times during the, during the time of trading. I, you know, I'll be the first to hold my hands up and say I kind of live my life to excess a little bit. You know, boy about town in London, making a few quid. Pretty um, easy so to do in London, so yeah. Oh, it's so easy, mate. It's so easy, especially because I was living in Islington, obviously working in Islington, so I could literally crawl to work every morning. <laughs> I was my own boss. Um, it wasn't a good combination for me. To At least honest. you weren't in Canary Wharf, living in Canary Wharf, because that's oh, like. Yeah, I, well, I mean, there's just like really, it's pretty sterile. <laughs> Islington's a yeah. bit cool. Oh yeah, exactly. At least you know. At least if anyone knows uh, Islington, so like you got Upper Street, which is just it's like almost like a little little smaller village within London itself, which is nice. Um, yeah, so basically, kind of slowly put in the trade not on the back burner but not as day trading as I was I used to do like you know 10 sometimes maybe 20,000 a day and now I'll do none for you know a week um but so my focus now really is you know like Chris said it's uh, like you said it's on um the Prius IQ and uh, the morning ramble and stuff and the, the, the whole idea behind it being is being on Twitter and obviously the FinTwit or whatever you want to call it just seeing so much crap on there and just so much 
Like, yeah, I don't know if I can... Well, no, just, call them fin, just call them fin twats. That's like the best thing. Yeah, fin twats. Yeah, exactly. There you go. That's the first time I've heard that. Did I heard that the other out? day and I literally couldn't stop oh it like an God. hour. I thought it was just hilarious. Um, it was, yeah, And by the way, it was said when some guy had banged on about some sort of options trade and made it sound like he had just literally formed a grand unified theory of the universe and this guy was just oh, like don't be God. such a fin twat it was brilliant <laughs> i love that that i will be tweeting that within the hour <laughs> well within two hours after this um yeah so i just yeah i basically i wanted to fill a, a hole where you know putting out some honesty and just hope like yeah just something because it's hard enough out there to make money especially if you're new to the market um so if i can provide some information you know for free which is what i was doing to begin with then happy days, you know, teamwork makes the dream work. I then started doing the, you know, the morning report, which basically it's, it's something that I do for myself anyway. So I like writing like, just a little framework for the day. Um, I started making that publicly available, got a lot of love for it. And I was thinking, do you know what? You know, I, if I am adding value, you know, you got, you got to charge for it. So that's why, you know, what's 200, I can't remember what it is, 260 for six months. And yeah, that includes my morning ramble. Also, um, uh, got what I call a model portfolio and so actually this is what I wanted to get uh, make sure I explained well today was the model portfolio so a lot of people will ask oh you know what's your um, you know what's your staking model or like what's your risk on it as so the model portfolio that I put out and it's always my pin tweet is the days it includes the day's model portfolio obviously with the actual contracts that I've traded grayed out or blurred out basics of it is well the basis sorry of it is is I wanted to be able to allow other people to hold my views to account because there's so many people out there that will throw out 10, 20 trade ideas a week and then two weeks later, they'll only talk about the ones that were winners. And, and you know, these are people that charge a lot of money for like subscription services and whatnot. And I just think it's, I just think it's bang out of order, to be honest. So I thought, um, you know, I wanted to give all... Uh, I wanted to give subscribers and just general people, you know, just anyone that's having a look, a way to gauge my performance or my views. So the Morning Ramble, sorry, the model portfolio, is not particularly, you know, it's not a, a portfolio that exists anywhere per se. It's more a case of me saying, right, I think this market's going up. I am going to market right now as an entry and then we'll see what happens. So obviously there's some of the trades on there that I do put on, well, I've got most of them, and obviously I might do stuff in between that isn't on the ramble because that's you know, my own business. But the idea being, and it's very, very simple, and it's very easy to, for it to be overthought, and I think many people do, it's purely a way to hold myself accountable to other people. And obviously, yeah, it helps at the moment it's up, which, uh, you know, is a good sign. But yeah, so I just wanted to explain that because I know a lot of people have a few questions about that. So I hope that clears it up. Oh, somewhat. And, and look, this is something that, I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredibly simple sheet. There's absolutely no yeah. way to hide, quite literally. Yeah, um, exa and, exactly. Um, and, and I mean, one day it's going to have so many trades on it, it won't be such a simple sheet. But um, yeah. <laughs> true. And um, yeah. look, I, I always think, I, I've always consistently said this, that you know, people who get timestamps out there, um, I mean, it, I think it's completely unfair for someone to say to someone um but something like well wait a minute what do you mean you're not telling me every trade you're making i mean it, you know everyone's portfolio is completely dependent on their circumstances um yeah, but, yeah. 
But again, yeah. if people are going public on certain trades, they're the ones they want, you'd hope they believe in. Um, and yes, what I noticed yeah, exactly. was that, so maybe we could, maybe we do a whistle stop tour of some of the kind of, um, let's not go through the portfolio, but like the different asset classes and because you're pretty varied. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's based, I think it's all futures, but again, for those listening that don't trade futures, you, there's ETFs to trade all the things. Um, yeah, even the exactly. You can just a little off. bit. Yeah. They're, they're not always, they might have a bit weird roll yields and stuff, which you definitely need to watch, but um, why don't we whip through a few asset classes and get some thoughts from you about what's going on? And I'm not going to start with equities yeah. because everyone starts with equities. So we're not going to yeah. start. So let's start <laughs> with, maybe just with bonds in general, like um, you know, maybe start with treasuries. And uh, I got a bit yeah, of a wild well, card question of, oh. hey, I saw the China, Chinese government bond, 10 year, three and a half percent yield. Looks quite tasty, maybe. Right. Well, yeah. Okay. So I'm with you on that. I actually, I think that's a decent yield. Yeah, and so a lot of people go, oh, but yeah, it's China and all that risk. But at the end of the day, you know, even if the relationship with the US falls apart, you know, when, when you look at the, you know, the other bonds you've got out there, there's nothing really that stands up against that. You know, because well, we, I think we're both in agreement that treasuries are, long, are going lower for longer. And I mean, like, yeah, well I, lower. I mean, to be honest, I, I'm kind of thinking that trade is probably done in the next six months. Um, in that they go down to something pretty close to zero across the curve and yeah. that's kind of that I mean whether it goes negative may be but that's not that's not the trade I'm in so uh, no well here's, here's a question for you then Chris what do you think we go negative uh, how far outside do you think we go negative so in the US curve? in the US I think Powell is not gonna he's gonna he doesn't want to be the guy that goes negative I mean, no, this is true. Um, I think he wants, I mean, he's probably the most powerful person in the world, right? Along with Trump. I mean, you know. Yeah, I, I can definitely get involved with that. And what a lot of people have forgotten is that his chairmanship does not align exactly with the election. So it's actually got a year lag. So he's up in early 2022. So that's why Yellen was chairman for a month, a year under Trump. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It wasn't that choice, <laughs> right? And um, um, and 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 yeah, the president can't theoretically fire them, although that's not really ever been tested. But I'm sure. No, are. yeah. Um, well, I you know think, what I think. Go on, sorry. I, I was saying I I don't think he wants to be the guy that he's not an academic uh, when it comes to economics. I don't think he's going to be the guy that tries something that's completely different. Um, He's going to keep doing what he's doing, pray that everything holds together in some way well, yeah, exactly. and get out and pretty much knows he's gotten in early 22. I mean, I mean, he's definitely gotten if Biden wins and if Trump wins, who knows? He's probably gone. I mean, um, well, yeah, I think he's unless he does go negative rates, Trump will kick him when he can. Right. Now, the market could try and, and force and, it, right? I mean... Which and it's the market has forced a few things. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean, if 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 you had the ten years at, if the ten years were trading at minus fifty, which you know we've seen in Germany, all sorts of yeah. Places. I mean, look at the UK now. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's kind of following yeah, again. Two years, path. Um, two years below ja uh, Japanese. Two years today. Right. Two year men's um, Yeah, because the Japanese thirty is at about fifty bips, I think, for example. So that's yeah. Um, but oh, that that's completely that market's not exactly market price, but <laughs> no. the market could force it. And then he frankly probably 
would do what the market ultimately says. But I just think that's a completely different trade than the yes, yeah, um, absolutely. You know, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the fives go negative. Um, obviously, I don't think you're going to see it much past the fives. The sevens is an interesting. I'll tell you as well. What's interesting is the take up on that uh, the twenty year tenor that was issued. Uh, was it? Well, it feels like about months ago. Three yeah. Days. yeah, but um. So it'd be interesting. I know the CME are looking at maybe making a 20-year future. That'd be, you know, I think that'd be quite interesting to look at if it did get on the screens, but but the liquidity will probably be there. So, because it did, you know, it bridges a big old gap. So that'd be interesting. But yeah, so I think I agree with you. I think we see much flatter curve, much lower curve. Um, you know, what's on the model portfolio, I'm long T-bonds, 30-year bonds. Um, I've cut some erroneously, unfortunately, by the looks of it. But, um, yeah, I think yeah, it's something you can just sit on. I'd, I'd put it this way. I can't think for a, the life of me, can't think of a reason to sell treasury bonds. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I mean, I guess if you thought the US dollar was literally going to shit and you didn't want to hold anything US dollar denominated. And, and, yeah, that's Right, and I and that's a well, fair point. enough point of view. If that's your point of view, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah, fine. absolutely. Um, I mean, there's certainly more people that are shorter on the USD right now than longer. So, I think yeah, if that's your view, then maybe you should be in the RMB bonds. But like, um, so um, but you know, the issue is if you have that view too, is you can't go to corporate bonds because they're basically in US dollars in terms of like. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the market they, they is dominated by the US, and so I mean, you you know, this is always the problem, right? You can't get away from the dollar. Well, so, exactly. I do. Yeah, yeah. I've got to say, if there was an easy way, well, like an easy and reliable way to pick up Chinese bonds that you know that I had access to, I think it'd be worth a go. Well, there's an iShares um, ETF, um, but it's um, for China bonds. Let me just, I'll just Google it. I, I know it's got an average duration of seven or eight years, um, so it's not. Um, um, it's not that. It's not like a, a, a TLT. Um, yeah so yeah it's a cnyb so it's a um well obviously cmyb of course it is <laughs> yeah. uh, um they're pretty good at naming the etfs so um i looked at it the other day it's average dura effective durations i think 7.7 .7. so it's kind of like the intermediate bonds from um, yeah. vanguard so it's kind of a bit of a swiss army knife um but you're not getting the kind of zeros or edv type of convexity when you know, um, with, with, with a 26 year average duration, effective duration. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess you know, people could look into people that do buy stuff like that with leverage and stuff, you know, there are ways to goose it up, of course, but, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can always add the juice after. And it well, is also interesting, right? Because even on that, I mean, I don't own that China bond, but I just started looking into it because I thought, well, what's funny of course is three and a half percent is precisely where the U S 10 year was in at the end of 18 when everyone thought it was going to go up, <laughs> you know, six, yeah. six percent or whatever Gundlach was saying. And well, not just him, lots of people were, um, I mean, that's, it's, I just, I kind of like those little mini coincidences. Um, and yeah. if you're short yeah. on the dollar, well, you know what, maybe that means you're long on the RMB. You just don't realize it. So, um, well, yeah, exactly. You're, you're not going to hedge the FX in that type of thing. I don't think so. Um, no, no, absolutely not. I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, Especially if you're like, you know, retail, semi-retail, it's the kind of thing you put on. Oh, well, yeah, I don't like using the word a punt, but 
you know, if, if you've got a small view or like you say, you're very bearish dollar, you know, it ticks a few boxes. Um, cool. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to, to equities. So from memory, your positions have been short Russell, long NASDAQ. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm broadly, a big... Like broadly, which has yeah, been a really yeah. popular, like that's been a very logical trade the last few months. So. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Now, you know, there's a lot of people saying, yeah, the tech stocks, yeah, they must be overvalued. I, I don't think, I don't think they really are that overvalued, to be honest. Um, Do you think they I, just become bonds? Yes. Yeah. I actually, um, I mentioned this with Anthony Crudelli um, on Saturday. We did a thing, like a little, um, webinar debate thing. Um, and I said, you know, a lot of the blue chips, you know, they are acting as bonds. Yeah, when you've got yields that are so low, money needs to return something. So, you know, that I think this is why we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing days where bonds up, stocks up, because yep. you know, as as the yield decreases, money needs to go somewhere where it's going to earn something. And by the way, yeah, and we saw that in nineteen. I mean, bonds, treasuries, and stocks both performed very well in nineteen. Um, yeah, yeah, but they yeah. were not negatively correlated for most of the year. So. But, and it's, you know, it's, it's the same old, you know, it's obviously historically it was, you know, bonds up, stocks down, vice versa. It was the typical, you know, we call it the risk on, risk off kind of scenario. Yep. Um, but we've now got to a point where, you know, again, I hate using some of these terms, but, you know, when people say like the market's broken, it's not broken. It's just a, it's just a new way of looking at things. Um, you know, and the fact is the lower rates go more money will flow into stocks. So we are going to see more of this stocks up, bonds up, or bonds up, then stocks up. Um, yeah, and I, I do, I could not be more bearish the US broad-based economy. Um, right. You so know, like, the Russell play. play got, yeah. yeah, hence the Russell play. Um, I'm, like, like, obviously, the long NASDAQ, I'm a massive fan of tech at the moment, tech stocks still up to that. Um, I also think if you were looking for maybe, you know, more rather than like a sectoral play, if you're looking for a geographic play, I think maybe being long Europe versus the US is something to look at. Um, yeah, that's an interesting one. That's popped up. I mean, on the kind of podcast circuit, <laughs> which, you know, we all probably listen to similar things, um, and which is obviously fantastically good for group think. Um, the, the Europe trades popped up a little bit more because that was being the completely, you, you didn't, you, you would not mention that. Uh, kind of pre-COVID. Um, well, this is it, and and it's weird because you know I am you know anyone that follows me knows that I am very bearish the the whole EU experiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I the political experiment I think it's expired. I think it's falling apart. You know the recovery fund that's just hilarious. Um, you know they can't even agree something to save their own skins. Um, yet you know European companies I think you know. European companies, up to an extent, aren't the EU. You know, like we know what's happening in Germany. You know, it's almost like a separate economy. Um, if we do get a recovery, um, obviously, you know, it's that's massive caveated with you know, if we get a second wave, third wave, whatever. But all things being equal, and we do see a recovery, um, I think that recovery is going to be a lot quicker in Europe and Asia. Um, so you know, you could, yeah, if there was a way, you were well, if you were looking at doings you wanted to put on something a little bit more nifty than rather than just long less stocks you know maybe put on some european um stock and then maybe the dax or maybe uh yeah you could even do Eurostox 50 actually you know what Eurostox 50 is probably ideal Eurostox 50 maybe something for some asian exposure and 
Short the S&P, maybe. Um, well, well, I'll say probably sort the Russell more than the uh, S&P. But yeah, I, th- I think looking at the Eurostoxx 50, I think it's definitely something that should be on everyone's radar. And it's a market that, you know, obviously it trades on Eurex if anyone wants to look it up. It's, it's a good market and it's, you know, it's very liquid. It's kind of like juicy tick. Well, you know, trading nice ticks. Um, the DAX obviously can be a little bit, little bit of a live wire for many. Um, you know, people go very poor very quickly trading the DAX outright. Um, yeah, but obviously, yeah, that, I'm only talking about trading the futures. Yeah, options, like I've said before, not my bag per se. It's a bit out of my wheelhouse. But if options are your thing, there's, yeah, I'm sure there's got to be some decent plays where you can get some uh, European exposure on board at the, uh, yeah, against the US. So that is definitely something I'd be looking at. I definitely wouldn't be just buying stocks here, put it that way. Right. And just used in, used in, we've just had the US inflation figures and they're incredibly boring. Yeah. Exactly what everyone thought they would be. So pretty much. And the market doesn't care. So I thought that could be some bombshell in the middle, but no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw it fly through as I was talking. I kind of stuttered. Well, I stutter at the best of times. But then, uh, that's right. My favourite is coming in 25 minutes, the Red Book number that no one cares about. But. Yes. Well, uh, yes. Actually, I've got you to thank for the Red Book because the Red Book is something that completely just have never been on my radar all the years i've been in the markets and that it's just something i've never really looked at and you it's only some secret one it is too it's uh, danielle di martina booth's little secret one too she's mentioned that in a couple of shows ah uh, right so that so i'm for some reason i've never really got into the whole podcast thing and i, I that's going to have to change but now i'm on this one i need to change content so well now millions of people on. are hearing this so you know well, exactly. So I'm going to have to um, get you to make me a little list of podcasts to start listening to, to be honest. Which, um, actually, there you go. little thread of podcasts for you. You know, I like uh, putting in thread requests. <laughs> yes. The, the issue with Redbook, though, is so for those that don't know it, it's um, US st- same store offline sales. So you're basically talking about the Costco's, Walmart's, that type of stuff. Um, offline sales and um, plus all other retail. And of course, this market's been decimated recently. And it's just kind of trundling along at kind of minus 6% year on year every week. And um, yeah, but of course it doesn't take into account the Amazon effects. So it could yeah. just be structurally, it's just going to be weak forevermore and it is, is, is kind of lost its use, but it's been around since 1964, which is something I like. Like ISM has been around since I think maybe even the twenties. So these things have been around for so long, they generally have pretty good methodology. Um, yeah. yeah well, this is it. And you know, speaking of methodology, yeah, you've got all these like the, these new data, well, I say new, newish data points like the PMIs, manufacturing PMI. It had never been really tested, never been stress tested at least. And yeah. it turns out manufacturing PMIs, there's a huge gaping hole in methodology. We were getting like we were getting massive beats at the start of the COVID crisis in European manufacturing PMIs. Yeah, that and was it turned the, out the supply the, 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 from the supply delivery yeah. times. It was completely. Yeah. it was literally adding like eight points or something ridiculous. Yeah. So the methodology for obviously for those yeah. guys um, that aren't aware, so it was saying, you know, if it's if you've got a delay from your supplier, but you know, you're making whatever, you're making cars and your gearboxes are delayed being supplied by the supplier walls. Um, the PMI methodology would count that as a good thing because it would it would say to itself, it would say, Well, okay, there's a delay in getting gearboxes. That must be because the only sorry, the only reason that can be. It's because there's huge demand for gearboxes, which is obviously a positive. It didn't even consider the fact that it might be a case of the supplier, you know, is fucked. 
sorry to sorry to swear but you know it's um yeah it's and it's stuff like that that blows my mind the thing you know we are you know PMI day was always been a huge day and because it hasn't been stress tested the date the methodology hasn't been stress tested none of this was picked up and that, that's why I think like you say ISM and Red Book something that's been through everything you know it's, it gives it some kind of yeah not it's not reliability it gives it some kind of kudos in the fact that it can stand up to whatever we chuck at it really right and i, I guess those that have followed me for a while know i kind of i'm a bit of a kind of pmi nutter and um and um it i it, there've also been a lot of divergences in the countries that have two pmis so for example in us you obviously have ism and the market yeah. one in china you have the national bureau of statistics and the kaixing one <laughs> Um, and, and so, and you've had some really quite big divergences and, and even the whole V-shaped debacle and, you know, when things go down and it's month on month, right. And we've covered this before, but um, yeah, it, it's kind of, there has to be people now reevaluating some of these methodologies because I, I literally now look at them now and I, I, I just don't really care. Um, and, and you know what? You get the kind of you know the retail sales data and the industrial production data like two weeks after. It's not too bad. So um, you know, I'm a hundred. It feels bad. Like it almost feels like it feels dirty to say it. But I'm with you. Like when I see it's PMI day, I'm like meh. Yes. Yeah, so what? It's it's it's, it's been it's been a very bizarre six months. Uh, but you know, this is so, this is it, right? Just think back to oh wait, and 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 think back to. Well, you know, if if you work at Fitch or S and P or Moody's and you've got your models and when things are fine, they're fine. And then some weird stuff starts to happen and suddenly things that are impossible are suddenly possible and black swan events happen and yeah. correlations go to one. And you know, the point is people put and I think COVID had the same issue. People kept banging on about models and I I'm I used to be a scientist. I know full well all models are bullshit. So like and it doesn't make <laughs> people doing them wrong. It's just, it's impossible to model these things. So like, it, you know, something that hasn't happened for a hundred years. Well, I mean, there weren't people in 1918 with Excel sheets. Um, so well, this like, is it. Uh, and I'm yeah, aware a lot of these models are not in Excel. They're in different languages, whatever. But like, yeah. um, it, it, it's kind of, and so I understand why there's been this backlash against experts. But at the same time, as an ex-scientist, I think ignoring scientists is not very smart either. So I just, everything in today's world is partisan. It's impossible to have a debate. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, and that's something that does drive me a little bit. A bit kind of, I like to, you know, I've got a bit of a reputation for calling calling it what it is on Twitter and whatnot. But, you know, I think that's good. It's healthy to have debate like that. And, you know, we're going back to what you said about the modelling stuff. You know, if you break it down, you can only model what's happened in the past. And, you know, and we're, hit, we're seeing things and we're, we're experiencing things that have never happened before. So, you know, like you say, you know, you, you've got to give experts a little bit of a break because, you know, at the end of the day, they are, you know, they, uh, I don't know. It's, they're doing their best, by the way. They're not trying yeah, exactly. to be asinine. Like, I mean, I, I, I think the vast majority are trying to be helpful. Yeah. Of course, yeah. So I, I wanted to pick up on one thing. So we cool. talked about... I mean, one of the points of NASDAQ and tech, XLK, whatever you want to talk about, like, um, I mean, XLK is in effect Apple and Microsoft, but um, um, yeah. 
as 40% of it or so, probably even more these days after they've gone up recently. But um, you know, this is the whole concept here of Tina, there is no alternative. And then I look at an asset class like precious metals, um, which I, I got some data the other day to suggest that the average pension fund is 0.3% allocated to gold. Um, is that 0.3? And it peaked, when it peaked in the 80s, apparently it was about 4%. It's about the highest it's ever been. But it's over, it's about 10x less. Um, and that, I just that, wonder if, right. you know, with everything going on, like, you know, well, what do you think? What's your view on kind of, I mean, let's stick with gold as much as possible, maybe. But like, yeah. if you want to talk about silver, that's cool. Or the other ones, but they're much more tricky things, I think. Yeah, there's, there's so many. There, there are a lot more things going on with, say, silver. So it's, that's something, you know, it's, at the end, it's one of those things. It's hard enough to call a winner in the easy markets. Well, easy-ish markets. When you look at something like silver, it's, yeah, it's, I've had a few goes in that over the, over the years. And it's, I, don't, I just, I just have a love it. And it's just like... If it goes up, I can tell myself I'm a genius. If it goes down, I can say, oh, well, it's such a tough market. But it doesn't actually yeah. matter either way. <laughs> That's my way of dealing with yeah. it. I'm like incredibly like sad when it comes to things like that. Like, <laughs> no, I'm with you there. <laughs> uh, yeah. God, I'll tell you what, I'm, I am really shocked that it's that little, um, that little weighting in the pension funds. So did you say 0.3%? Yeah, 0.3. So the survey, came, so on average, it came between 0.3 and 0.5 was the range they gave so i gave the lower band but yeah so i guess we could say yeah, but, yeah. More, but but like um it's tiny and actually if you you know um but of course traditionally it's been no yield um and but i mean that has kind of changed because bonds don't yield really either so yeah um, what real yields are negative all the way out um, um yeah well i'm i'm bullish gold um i just think there's so, so much going for it um yeah i know like you had um Tracy on um, recently, and she made a good like she tweeted as a tweet that I really liked. It was like, "There's no technical or fundamental uh, fundamental reason to be short gold at the moment," and I agree with her. But at the same time, that scares me. Yeah, that, that's because exactly when, what I said too. <laughs> it's like that's the when, reason. <laughs> yeah, and and it was only because like, I'm yeah I'm long gold, and I, I think it's going to go much higher. I can see two thousand easily. Um, but it was when she wrote it like that, and I was like. Oh God, what am I doing? It's, yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it's got, if you look at the commitment of traders positioning um, that, that, that comes out every week, it's gigantically long. Um, yeah. It's, and it's been long and strong for a long time, like a good yeah. year and a half or more. And, like, and, and, and it's just, and traditionally you would think that it, this would get squeezed heavily at some point. And if you ignored a blip in March, which was nothing to do with that, it was, you know, no, that was just correlations to one margin calls, all that stuff. But, yeah. As, but someone told me once, someone told me the other day, they said, it's not correlations to one, Chris. It's correlations to one or minus one. And I'm like, yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know that's what, a little yeah. bit of the problem. <laughs> yeah, um, that's, yeah, that is, it gets very binary at that point, doesn't it? And do you, I mean, you, you're trading gold futures, right? So if I was to line yeah. up, okay, so if you, let's just put gold into... I guess four categories you've got physical spot. So what I call spot, which is not what other people, but I'm thinking GLD, right? ETFs backed by gold, yeah. which is in yeah, my yeah. mind, semi-physical. It's kind of yeah, physical with liquidity. Um, and then you've got futures, of course, and you've got the miners, which is a different play. At the end of the day, they are equities. Um, what, what, and, what about, um, how would you describe you, like the gold ETFs? Because I always describe them as like paper on paper on 
paper gold. Yeah, some of these ETFs, I think, what, I can't remember what the stat is, but it's like the equivalent gold um, held long in ETFs are apparently, well, supposedly backed by physical, is like, what, well, used to be like five to seven times more gold that's ever been mined. This is total bullshit. So, is it? There's a group, and I can't remember their name, and they are very well known in the gold industry, and they go around marketing this to everyone. And they're trying to sell physical gold. So, of course, they spread this rumor. The most okay. outspoken on this is actually Eric Townsend at Macro Voices. He, he would go on a rant now about how it's completely stupid. Like, so, his, so his point and what I've kind of worked out too is, I mean, at the end of the day, if you just take IAU and GLD, which are the largest two ETFs, um, and I know executives at the companies, uh, uh, you know, BlackRock, for example, and they're backed by gold. They get audited every month. My joke is always, let's hope it's not Ernst & Young auditing them. Gold <laughs> is there. It's sitting in the vaults. It's in London. It's in New York. If, when you buy, now if you buy a share, they don't immediately buy an ounce of gold. They're doing it like, you know, at every period of time. Well, yeah, but of course. It, yeah. But it's, it's, it's 99.5 or whatever it is backed. And as far as I'm concerned, it's physical gold. Now, I totally get the argument you can't hold it. And you can't actually go and demand it. Um, and if governments tried to screw with, say gold went up to 10,000 and governments thought they could tax it massively, which they, they could, right? It does give yeah. them a way to attack it versus bars in your home or wherever. But um, I also think if we're in that world, you're probably screwed whatever you do. Um, so it's well, this kind is of an a, asset yeah. I don't want to go up too much. <laughs> kind of sounds no. weird. Um, uh, well, do you know Because I'm glad you've answered that question because it's a question I've always had. Because to me, uh, yeah, just a, it's a very kind of working man's trader. It, it never made sense that if that was really the case, how it'd be allowed to be going on. And obviously, like you say, it is bollocks because people are trying to sell sell you gold bars and uh, panda coins. Exactly. And um, and look, and there'll be people listening that say I'm being naive and blah blah blah. But like, I know people that have run super senior people at these companies and. They've, they've seen it. I also know someone who's been in various vaults and seen, now again, they haven't counted every bar, but <laughs> put it one way. I, I'm, I'm a kind of a generally a 90% risk averse, boring guy, but I do have kind of 10% more interesting investments. And, you know, I firmly put this in my boring bucket. So, um, um, so yeah. Alrighty. How about commodities? So commodities you're pretty active in. So, and obviously futures is probably the the best way to. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. It's like ETFs each are kind of a bit sloppy. So yeah. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's horses for courses, isn't it? Like some people prefer certain ways of getting trades on. Um, yeah, for me, like I said, it's, my background's always been futures. So my. So, my so let's take course. corn. So corn today, it got kind of wrecked, right? Yesterday a bit. And yeah. You're like gearing up for a potential long futures position. So, so for the listeners who are, um, I don't know, I don't even know, can you trade futures on Robinhood? I've no idea. But let's say for people who are listening, who are less experienced, um, may or may not have traded futures, like how, what does it mean to like go long gold, sorry, corn futures? Because that's not a trade most people have put on, let's be honest. So. No, well, you know, for me, it's, it's very, it, it's, it's a pretty, it's a vanilla trade. Like, you know, so I'm, I'm looking, I've got a view that, yeah, 
there's been a lot of talk about the whole, the whole kind of commodity space going on a bit of a tear in the next year or two. Um, also, I'm a very keen watcher on, especially with the agricultural products, I'm very keen watcher what's going on like weather-wise and stuff. Um, yeah, obviously with uh, corn, it's it's seasonal. So, you know, we have September harvest. Like we have set, um, we have a you know a 2020 crop that we harvest and that basically equates to the September future. So the, the future that it goes off in uh, September. So I don't really want any exposure in that. Although obviously, you know, they're, they're very correlated. I will trade for December because I want, you know, a little bit, I want a little bit of more room on top of um, September. You know, because I, I want to take a view on more what's going to happen at the back end of the year. Um, and even though obviously you could say September, I know it's three quarters away through the year. Yeah, that's fine. But it's basically pricing a commodity that, you know, they are harvesting in you know, the typical harvest season. Um, so, and how, sorry, how, how liquid, sorry, it's kind of seems ironic talking about liquidity of, I guess it's not a liquid, but how liquid is other kind of further out? Cause sometimes with futures markets, they get very little liquidity as you go further out. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, corn's good. You know, deck decks fine. Um, it's all these things, you know, most of these contracts now it's all about the implied spread so luckily the the calendar spread second deck is nice and tight therefore you know if you've got a tight set price september price you'll get a tight um december price okay so because, it doesn't have the contango issues that you oil just went through for example well yeah the spread could go crazy um but in terms of when i say tight price yeah i, I mean in terms of yeah there'll be a yeah the price the actual spread on the the spread on the, the sort of bid ask spread on the calendar spread would be nice and tight. Obviously, oh. that spread could move around quite a bit. Um, you know, September will get pretty volatile as we come in um, to expiry more. Um, it's yeah, but with all these um, commodities, it's yeah, it, it's very easy to forget that it is a physical contract that is physically delivered. Therefore, what's the contract size? What what do you? I mean, you're trading in what bushels or tons or what? What do you? Yeah. I mean, but what's the kind of notional dollar exposure you're taking on it for a contract? Let me have a quick look. It's coming up now. I mean, most futures are like whatever. Oh, the stock ones are like, you know, you're generally taking whatever, 100K, 200K yeah. kind of per contract. Well, yes, yeah, so it's 5,000 yeah. 5, bushels is what you're taking on. And it so is. Eight, eight bucks, isn't it? Something like that? Yeah, so it's uh, yeah, sorry, twelve and a half dollars a quarter cent on the. Okay, uh, so it's yeah. Um, but then I think that's the beauty with CME. They kind of most of their products are you know relatively all kind of that kind of ballpark. Obviously now you've got the micros and the minis and whatnot for a lot of the products. But yeah, so I'm going back to corn. I'm I'm liking corn. I was been talking about it on my ramble about wanting to get involved in it somewhere, and then yeah. Bit of manna from heaven. We had some good news on the uh, weather front, which is obviously bearish for corn um, after a period of some quite dire kind of forecasting. Um, and also yesterday's action um, in the South China Sea, which you know heightens the the risk that China might pull out com completely of their supposed purchasing. Um, so all of this led led to a gap lower in the corn futures. So it, all it's done is really take us back into the you know the April May June range. Um, and that's somewhere that you know, I'm pretty happy to pick some up. Um, yeah, only small, I think, with all these things. 
like you said, um, we were saying before, before we start recording in terms of like entries and stuff. Um, my way of thinking is that my process of trading is I will, I like developing kind of, you know, a more of a, you know, I hate keep using macro, the word is so overused, it kind of gets me a little bit. Um, but I do like to build up like more broader pictures of what's going on, not just in the markets, but in the world. And then I'll look to find a market that can exploit my view on a certain theme developing in the world, rather than look at the markets and then try and find something that fits in with that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, at the moment, yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of sitting here thinking, I wouldn't mind some long corn, I'll look to buy it today. But am I too concerned if I'm paying the high today? Not really, because am I look, do I think I'm going to buy the bottom? Not a chance. But like my entries are, yeah, like you said, you know, your entries can be, like, you know, your downfall sometimes. I know my entries are going to be my downfall. And no matter how much I try and finesse my, um, the way I do things, because I'm looking on a much longer time scale, I'm, look, I'm not looking for, you know, a scalping move i'm not looking for to be in a trade for a couple of hours you know, i could be in a trade for you know three four months so for me personally i find i can't i manage to get things done a lot better if i'm not overly concerned with the entry um yeah i know that goes against pretty much everything that people will be reading especially new traders but for me it works um and at the end of the day I think we all know anyone that's been in the market long enough, you can only do what works for you. And I would say that's one of my biggest tips at any, you know, if there's any like newer guys to the markets uh, listening, you know, you might find someone and you might follow someone that you can you know, you know, they make money and you can make a bit of money by following them in and stuff. But you do have to, at some point decide what works for you. And also you're obviously first off, you have to work out what you want to get out of it. Um, you know, for me, I've I've had the years where I will be you know, up to my eyeballs in you know oil spreads and whatnot every day of the week. You know, I'll have big positions on for you know I will constantly have big positions on for years at a time. Not the same positions, but just every night going home with big positions, possibly too big. Yeah, it's no way to live your life. And you know, at the end of the day, we're in this as a career. Well, most of us are in this for a career, so. Yeah, you know, it's it's something that I would stress. Find what works for you, and for me, entries aren't be all and end all. Um, yeah, it's. I know it sounds counterintuitive, and it probably is, but um, yeah, it's it's how I do things. Put it that way. No, it's cool. It's, it's cool, and um, I, I think a lot of people can overthink that stuff. Um, I think also it's just for some people they need a process to give themselves discipline on getting into the trades. Um, others. Yep. Don't, and that's fine. Um, for me, I like. Uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, I mean, when I make a trade, I, like, um, go on, sorry. Sorry. no, no, go on. I, I was just about to say, I was like, I was like, discipline. I make discipline ninety percent of trading. Yeah, and for me, my discipline is just trusting the system and just not, you know, not jumping in for no reason, and more importantly, not jumping out for no reason. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like. Yeah, if I, I've been in the position like in the past where I've had to hire people and whatnot, yeah, so I've been on that side of things as well, and you know, take like, newer traders under my wing and whatnot. And you will always say, you know, two things that you always do in this industry, especially like when you're working like, for a firm or whatever, 
it's and it sounds simple and it, it should be simple but in that it really is rule number one no matter what you always tell the truth because you know i've been in positions where you know you think you're out of a trade and it turns out you know you, you, the junior didn't actually get you out but he's trying to still try to work the trade and obviously he's lying to you yeah it all falls apart so yeah. be, always be honest with yourself as well as others and just discipline 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 that's you if you can nail those two things you're halfway there yeah and how about let's maybe briefly touch on i mean you said you used to trade a lot of oil it's kind of been boring the last few weeks after the fireworks but um um, yeah is that something you've just been kind of avoiding with it's kind of yeah lots like lower vol at the moment or well to be honest i i was avoiding oil even before all of this kicked off it's i think i was if anything i was oiled out so to speak but i yeah i used to focus on um tra- like trading the calendar spreads like even butterflies and condors which are a lot more elaborate calendar spreads if you're not aware of what they're about more legs basically brokers love them um yeah, it's, oil, it's, it's been a very weird one. Obviously, you know, OPEC coming in. You know, the days of OPEC, we still think are numbered. Uh, yeah, what We've got um, the JTCC meeting starting tomorrow, I believe. Um, to be honest, it's a market that I've kind of lost my bearings with a little bit. So because of that, I'm very adverse to trying to step in, like that, dip my toe in. Um, I need to kind of, I need, I need the market, if it makes any sense, I need the market to calm down. Like I know it's dead, but I need the market to kind of find where it wants to go because at the moment it feels like it's torn between maybe another leg higher or just for the arse to fall out of it. Um, so for that reason, it's something that I kind of try to stay away from because I know if I start looking into it a little bit too much, I will end up putting a trade on. Um, and I do not want to do that. <laughs> And do you, and, and, and if you don't, that's fine on the next one, but if you, another commodity, I guess, but like, do you trade Bitcoin at all or ever held that or? Well, Bitcoin is an interesting one. So my, so I've got a bit of a history with Bitcoin. So my best friend um, was a Sturz trader, was on the live floor, um, was a broker for HSBC trading, uh, short sterling, I think he was, he was trading. He was a big Sturz trader um, at Kite Group as well, which is where I met him. He basically gave up Sturz trading uh, in two, uh, I think it was, say 2010 to get into Bitcoin. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Wow. First uh, generation then, yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, so we, to the extent that we were like howling with laughter when he told us he was leaving the markets to trade internet money. Um, obviously lots of egg on lots of faces, including mine. Um, so I've always had an interest in that just purely from him. Uh, and, you know, he, he was my, like my housemate for a while as well. So, you know, I had to kind of get involved in it somewhat, unfortunately holding very little. Um, yeah. So it's a market that I think actually cryptocurrencies as a whole, I think are very interesting for traders. Um, it's it's a double-edged sword though like cryptocurrencies i believe work from what i gather and what i've seen like technical trading is not what i do i'm very adverse to technical trading but i appreciate that technical trading works very well on crypto yeah it, because it, that's bizarre. yeah because it's entirely emotionally driven crypto exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah it's 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 an odd one for me because you know I, i'm pretty adamant that i, I hate technical trading hey, but even earlier way time, people can do it with bitcoin so yeah Sorry. well this is it it's uh, you know, technical trading does work in, in crypto. 
um, which is great because a lot of people have made a lot of money out of it. And, you know, a lot of like, younger traders have made, you know, yep. you know wood, they, they keep hold of the money as well. And they've made fortunes. But where, it, where the other side of the, the sword is, or the, the knife, whatever, the poison dagger, is the fact that they now believe, and I think this is a really bad problem for maybe some Robin Hood traders, maybe just like these FX kids that are coming in now, where they believe that what they've learned on crypto can just be rolled into trading FX and equities. And I think we've seen a lot of people come unstuck on that front. Um, not to say you can't make the transition, because I know some guys on Twitter and what I know some guys in real life that have made the swap, uh, the switch from crypto to traditional, we say traditional vanilla markets like FX. Um, so it can be done. But what I will say, like if you are a crypto trader and you are looking to get into other markets, you know, market awareness is everything, and knowledge of the market you're trading is everything. So, yeah, I see one of the funny enough. I saw someone tweet it a couple of days ago. Uh, they were tweeting about wanting to be long uh, dollars, um, but they had no idea. Like, you know, they just thought they wanted to be long dollars. They did not know how they could, you know, what they could put on against that. And people forget that a currency pair is called a pair for a reason. There's two sides of it. So when you are trading FX, you need to know. Yeah, okay, you might want to be long sterling, but what are you going to be long it against? Are you going to be long it against the euro or the dollar or you know whatever? And the other side of that currency, the other side of the sterling, makes a big difference to how the trade works. Yep. So yep. that's something that you know I would really try and ram home to, especially the newer like trade as well. Yeah. To be honest, when I, when I have when people ask me about this, like my advice to people at first is, I I don't think you want to be trading FX as your first foray into traditional markets. I think it's hundred percent, hundred percent, Chris. Yeah. I, I, I still, I still can't trade FX to save my life. I try. I'm a trial, bless me. But um, yeah, it's it, for me. I find it very difficult. Um, but you know, it's. I think a lot of people are making a lot of mistakes. And like we were saying before, um, you start recording. Um, but what you know, what would you do? What was the question about the Robin Hood trading? Um, like yeah, if you so, have yeah, I mean, I mean, you've, you've basically already got into it, but like, you know, if I'm a Robin Hood trader, right, with like 10,000 bucks, let's say I've got a job and that's stable, whatever that means these days. And you know, I, I can play around with 10K. If I lose it, it's not the end of the world, but it's going to hurt me. Like, yeah, yeah, my got, friends are all to... making, they're all telling me they're making, you know, 100X on my Tesla, on their Tesla calls. And of course, they're probably getting some things wrong too, but they're not telling me. Oh yeah, exactly. It's accountability. What should, you know, what if, but if I, and I've spoken to a couple of people like this who, well, they asked me like, you know, what advice would you give? And, um, but these are people who, you know, what, what advice would you give someone that wants to try and learn? Um, that's willing to listen. Uh, well, first I would, the first question should always be, what do you want to get out of it? Are you looking to do it? You know, some people, yeah, if, if you've got a disposable 10 grand behind you, you know, you might be just looking for a bit of fun. Are you looking as a potential way to make money um, in terms of beer money? Or are you looking to maybe get into this being your future career? I think that those three kind of options, punt, beer money, or make a real go of it. You need to know the answer to that question before you can do anything else. And I think you should know, you should need to know that answer before you even log into your trading account. If you're looking for a punt, then you know, at the end of the day, it's, there's a lot of people you could follow for punts. Um, I would try and stick to the most vanilla contracts possible. Stay away from 
I would, to begin with, especially stay away from options because a lot of people don't realize even how they're priced, um, let alone, you know, that how they make it. Like I've heard some, you know, I've had friends come up to me and say, you know, I'm long like 200 call and I've paid 50 for it. And it turns out it's only got three days to expire because the market is so thin. And, you know, a lot of these brokerage, you know, especially like the smaller brokerage, they know that their clients do not know what they're doing and they will make spreads extremely wide. So it's almost impossible to make money. Yeah. So, yeah. So if, if you're looking to make a real go of it, um, I would say, yeah, you don't trade for as long as possible. Yeah. Take you know, me, uh, take other people. It took me two years of watching markets, daily watching markets before I was allowed to trade. And that's, that's not trading on the sim. That's before even being allowed on a simulator. Yeah. I had to go through, I had to do a lot to earn my right to trade. And I, I do think that it's almost too easy for people to trade now. It's almost just like opening up, you know, a gamble, like a betting account, you know, instead of oh, that's, betting that's the, the whole point, right? Of, uh, well, yeah, exactly. That, that's why it's grown so fast. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and yeah, for you some, could also great. argue, right, that, that there's a good, good side to that, which is you're allowing everyone to get on a more level playing field. Oh, of course. Yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons I, I do what I do because I want, I put out as much information for free as possible. You know, I put out all the, well, a lot of banknotes for free. Obviously, I've, I've got more that I provide just to my subscribers. But I do, I'm a massive believer in we should have a level playing field. And that's what I love about, about Twitter because it allows, you know, 10 years ago, could I talk to or could I listen to what some of the, the real experts in the industry have to say? Not a chance. Yeah, and, and I... Hold my hand up. I am far from being an expert on anything, but I do my best to listen to as many experts as possible. Um, but I do think, like going back to the Robin Hood point, I do think that, yeah, almost once you set up your account, you need a calling off period and really understand what you want to get from it. And to do that, you need to understand market awareness. Um, and just it's, it's far too easy to lose money. So yeah, and also I would stress get out of an echo chamber. There's too many echo chambers out there, especially on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Twitter's fantastic for confirmation bias and all these things. So. Oh, hugely, <laughs> hugely. And if we if we go, so we've been white belt. If we go black belt now, like, have you ever traded volatility? Do you see that as an asset class, or is it kind of something you've not not it's, really? You said you didn't do so much with options and stuff. So I'm no, I do very little. Hardly any. Um, yeah, VIX is something that I keep an eye on just to like, just so I can keep that building up in my, uh, so I can keep that picture, you know, clear in my mind uh, of what exactly is going on in the market. As a tradable contract, sorry, I, I don't know if you can hear a lot of seagulls, but it seems to be a lot of seagulls flying over there. Sounds fantastic. Um, <laughs> get those so much. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so it's something that I definitely watch. I think you've got to have one eye on the VIX as a tradable asset. It's not for me. That's not to say you can't trade it because obviously people do people make a lot of money trading it. But for me, definitely not tradable. Um, it's also, I don't understand bold sellers. Um, I think that's, that's the, it's, you know, I'm seeing a rise in bold selling chat on Twitter again. That it's just, it seems like the most perfect pennies in front of a steamroller trade. Right. It but will this go, has been the trade of pension funds and, Family yeah, 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 yeah. And it, it absolutely and it, has been pennies from the steamroller and it was until March and then 
the steamroller went over you. So, um, but it's just been eking out. I mean, I think the average fund was eking out an extra one to 200 basis points a year with the vol selling, which is quite significant. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, and also like, like, you know, it's good until the day it's not good. Uh, <laughs> this is it. This is it, mate. This is exactly that. And also, you yeah, know, for them, it's probably a lot, you know, it, you know, they're picking up pennies in front of a steamroller and they can structure it perfectly. They can like keep it mi- like completely micromanaged on the hedging front. Yes. If you're, Oh, yeah, they've got the us. systems and a retail investor does not have the systems to exactly. deal with. That, exactly. That is for so sure. So Think of it like this. It's hard enough for them to eke out a living selling role. We've got no chance, in my opinion. Well, especially retail has no chance in doing it. Um, but, you know, people, people don't see the cost of doing the business. They only see the outcome of doing the business. So if you tell someone, oh, you know, you can make X amount of basis points selling involved, fine. But, you know, you're paying, you're paying that, say like you're making 200 a year basis points and doing it but it's costing you 150 basis points to do it right so then you're only making 50 so now you're picking up pennies off the pennies in front of the steamroller I, I, I totally get it and i mean i've thought about this quite a lot and i've most people are without knowing it short volatility because they're long yes yeah 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 that's definitely valid point ever right and and actually unless you've got some sizable options positions um then you know, you, or indeed, I guess, I mean, I would not be like holding the VIX. That doesn't make sense. Um, but I mean, no, if, again. If, if you can like look in your interactive brokers or whatever, and you can see that you've got a decent Vega position and like, like this is like, I, I mean, the more and more I trade, like the more I do think it is an asset class, but it's just one that you, you just got, I mean, I mean, if we're to believe Chris Cole, we should have 20% in long volatility strats. Now, I have no idea if the 100-year portfolio is, um, his dragon portfolio is the right thing or not, but like, um, but it's something I kind of dip my toes in more and more. Um, but for me, it's just about insurance. Like I want insurance, I'm very yeah. happy to pay for some insurance and I'm not too bothered if like, I'm, I have to pay some carry. I totally get if you're in a hedge fund, like that's going to be bad for your P&L and you have to find ways to do it carry neutral or whatever. Um, but for me, I'm very happy to take insurance when it's cheap. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. If, if it's, you know, at the end of the day, some people's portfolios and whatnot, some people's, you know, just state of mind, you need some insurance and that's fine. But, you know, be true to yourself. And like you said, you know, you know the cost to carry. You'll be, you know, it's already, you know, you're already pricing it up. I think the, a cost, the cost of carry is something that very little, not just for VIX trading, but in terms of a lot of trading, Cost of carry seems to be forgotten very easily, yeah. and it's you know it's a big part of your it's a big part of your final P and L. Yeah, cool. And so, what I'm moving away a little bit from this. So, like, what what else do you get up to? Like, what makes you tick away from macro? Away from I'm trading. Using the word macro again, but you know, trading and all this stuff. Like, um. Not much, really, at the moment. I'll just say I go to the pub. Like, that would be such the most British kind of answer. Well, no, that's, at, the moment, at the moment, I can't because we're pretty much locked down. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You say what makes me tick. Well, at the moment, not very much. Um, but like, like I brushed on before, I, I used to be a bit of a, bit of a party animal, shall we say. Uh, yeah, I spent a fair few years not particularly sober or at all. Um, but now, recently, kind of my little renaissance period, um, yeah, fortunate enough to like have a little family home down um, on the beach in Kent. So long walks along the beach, like typical Tinder profile. Um, yeah, enjoy deep books and long walks. 
Um, I mean, it's called middle but, age. You should, mate. Exactly. Blissful. I'll tell you what, yeah, I, I love a bit of cooking. We'll try my best at cooking. Ah, so, what's I'm, your dish? So, I, I asked Tracy this too. What, what's what's the dish that you can just do? Like, right. So, my dish. current dish of choice, and, and you know, it goes in and out of season. You know, my current dish of choice is uh, chicken milanese okay. with some nice with some nice uh, garlic and chili spaghetti. Oh, I'm a big fan of that at the moment. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm like I said, luckily where I'm living at the moment, I'm, I'm out of London base. I came out of London before COVID. One of the reasons was just London was kind of getting to me a little bit too much. Um, mental health is something else that you know, I've kind of suffered with in the past. Um, and I'll, I'll take this opportunity to say, yeah, if anyone out there is listening and they do suffer from mental health, do not keep it quiet. Um, yeah, I'll regularly put out a tweet or whatever, about just talking about it, because I think mental health is a very serious issue. Um, and my DMs and whatever, however the kids call it nowadays, um, they are always open, especially you know, if you're a trader or whatnot and you just want to vent or whatever. I think very, very important because you know I spent quite a bit of my uh, my trading career and life suffering quite heavily from mental illness. Um, so yeah, so obviously on that <laughs> on a cheerier note, now yeah, it's, it's, um, look, it's super important, and I've I've had yeah dark days before and. And actually getting some help and talking through with people and, and, and it's not necessary with family. Sometimes it's good to be talking to a stranger or a doctor. Or yeah, well, that's what, that's exactly nothing wrong with what I, yeah. I found it was for me personally, I found it was, I did a lot better talking to a complete stranger because yeah, yeah it was, it was, it was more of a case of me talking at them. I just needed someone to be on the other end, um, which is why, yeah, I will adamantly always say to people, if you ever need to, just type a message or just chat. But yeah, I will always put down everything I'm doing if I can help anyone in that way. But yeah, like now, I'm what? What? I can't remember how old I was again. Thirty six. Um, I'm thirty six. I'm you know never been happier, never been healthier, and uh, you know a lot of that is to do with me realizing or coming to accept. You know, the trading day trading wasn't for me anymore. It needs to be more of a a longer term frame, a longer time scale kind of trading. Um, but yeah, so hopefully as soon as this COVID's finished, I'm going to be sitting on a beach for a week or two. Um, maybe come over to Hong Kong, get some Hong Kong beers in me. Absolutely. And that was, and for those listening, well, look, first of all, I think it's a great place to kind of end it because to, yeah, that's a great end. And, but for those listening, like um, getting to the end, um, we, we, we definitely bonded on Twitter with some beer choices uh, over, over the last <laughs> yeah. time. Because Hong Kong actually still gets a lot of really good beer from the UK. It's probably like five times more expensive by the time it gets here. But anyway. You can, you um, can judge a man by beer taste. And it's, you've got absolutely. a good beer taste. So you're a good man. You're a good man. I, I'm, not, I'm not on the, uh, on the wife beater. So yeah. <laughs> actually, only British people understand that. So that suddenly makes yeah, me yeah. sound horrible. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and that's very neat. Right. How can people find out more about you and uh, the morning ramble? And yeah. So just uh, hit me up on so Gripus IQ um, on Twitter. Um, pretty much my life is sprayed out all across there. Um, yeah. Like I say, any, not just, you know, if you want to whack anything, my DMs are open or just talk to me normally on Twitter. Um, I will be getting a new website and that sorted out at the moment. It's pretty much a placeholder website because the whole service is only four months old. So it's still a baby. 
um, yeah, get in contact. I'm, yeah, as you can tell, I'm quite happy, happily talking about nonsense for as long as possible. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just get in contact and hopefully some of you got something interesting out of this. Hopefully I didn't make a fool out of myself and, uh, yeah, peace out. Great. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ryan, and would love to get you on. Another my pleasure. Cool. Yeah, my pleasure, mate. Thank you for having me. Thanks.